Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm your host, Strata lawyer, Amanda Farmer, and my guest this week is Michael Tees. This is an edited version of my live chat with Michael, hosted over on the Your Strata Property Facebook page a couple of weeks ago. I invited Michael to share with us some of his takeaways from an international strata conference that he had just returned from over in Canada. Michael has been a guest here on the show previously. Our most popular chat was back in episode number 331, during which I think Michael coined the phrase, if you can't repair it, don't own it. And when we were chatting live on Facebook, one of our Strata Manager viewers said that Michael is the most quoted person at his Strata committee meetings. I'm not sure if it's that particular line that gets quoted, but Michael certainly has a knack for good Strata sound bites. Now, in this latest chat, Michael certainly delivers. We talk about world trends in community living that Michael saw coming out of the conference he attended and spoke at, in particular, the role of strata committee members or board members, as they're called in other parts of the world. We talk about whether committee members should be professionals. Should they be paid? Should they be trained? Now, I know that's a discussion that's going to resonate with many of you, managers and owners alike. You can listen to the complete unedited version of this chat and see Michael and I on video over on the Your Strata Property Facebook page. There is a direct link to that video in the show notes for this episode. And if the topic of strata committees and strata committee meetings is one that you'd like to explore further, I would love for you to join me for a live webinar training on Thursday, the 22nd of June. I'll be sharing how to ensure transparent and fair committee decisions without conflict or confrontation, even if your committee or those you work with is inconsistent or unresponsive. We're kicking off at midday on Thursday, the 22nd of June. That's Australian Eastern Standard Time. Now, these types of training webinars are what we call pro webinars. The level of education that I deliver at a pro webinar is more in-depth than previous webinars you might have attended. There's lots of practical how-to information. Sometimes we have guest experts, definitely real-life examples and insights into my own client work and office practices. Property professionals can claim CPD points for attending pro webinars and webinar replays get banked to our CPD library. For that reason, pro webinars are only free for our pro members. You'll know who you are, but I am able to offer a significant discount on the ticket price for all members. So to access your free or discounted ticket to the Effective Strata Committee Meetings webinar, you want to go to the show notes for this podcast episode. They are over at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash podcasts. You'll see this podcast episode number 366 in the top row there. Click through for the links that are posted under the episode. If you're a pro member inside our online community, the link to secure your free webinar ticket is there for you. If you're a member, the link to secure your ticket at 60% off the usual price is also there for you. Members, just make sure you are logged in to access that free or discounted ticket. There's also a link there for non-members to secure their webinar seat at the full ticket price. 
Full price tickets are $227, but here's the thing. Don't buy a full price ticket. You can become a member for just $67 and you can then get your ticket at 60% off and get access to everything else that's on offer inside our online membership community. That's our Q&A forum where I am online answering questions for Strata owners and managers, our library of Strata templates, including template bylaws, that alone is valued at over $4,000, the recordings of our past webinars and your opportunity to book a one-hour, one-on-one online chat with me where we can work through your specific Strata challenge. So there's a special link in the show notes for non-members, which you can use to secure both your month-to-month membership and your discounted webinar ticket. The Effective Strata Committee's webinar is happening on Thursday, the 22nd of June, kicking off at midday. Unlike other webinars, there won't be a replay going out unless you've secured your spot. The replay will go to ticket holders. So get in, get registered. Links over in the show notes at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash podcasts. I'll take you right on over now to my chat with Michael Tees. Michael is a corporate advisor, a researcher and training presenter who works with property professionals, institutional property owners and property managers navigating complex issues relating to strata title property and management. He works with the City Futures Research Centre at UNSW, having been awarded an Australian Research Council scholarship. His current research areas are strata decision-making, building defects and non-conforming building products, and urban renewal of mixed-use developments. Now, Michael recently spoke at the UK House of Commons on how strata management works in Australia and how an understanding of our system may assist the Brits. I'm going to welcome him in now, Michael Tees. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you, Michael. How are you this fine day? I'm well, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for agreeing to join us back on the show. I'm not sure, did you feel the impact of our last conversation? Did your LinkedIn followers go through the roof? Did your email inbox explode? We put you out on the podcast as well. There was some tough love delivered in our last conversation. How'd you feel after that one? Well, it certainly got a reaction. And in in fact, it was the thing that led me to speaking in the House of Commons and uh, I meant to thank you for that. But oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Tell me more about that. An international academic picked it up online and uh, made contact with me and asked me while I was in England attending Oxford and doing some work there if I would uh, bother popping into the House of Commons to give them a little lesson on, on how we do it. So uh, your work has uh, tentacles everywhere. Lovely. That's so great to hear. And look, as, as has already been posted here in the comments, what you had to say in that live chat, which then went out on the podcast, was so impactful. What I will do is just ask Rochelle Amina to make sure we've got the link to that podcast episode in case we've got some new listeners, as we often do each week, who aren't familiar with our previous chat. We'll make sure we've got the link here for people to go and check that out. But Michael, you're a busy man. You have been in Canada just last week over in Vancouver. Tell us, what were you up to over there? So in Canada, I was uh, lucky enough to attend and speak at the International Research Forum on Multi-Owned Properties. Multi-Owned Properties is a term that international strata academics are starting to use because we have different language in different states and territories and countries. So multi-owned properties is something that we sort of can all get behind, but it, it covers condominiums in America, leasehold in England, strata in Australia, and 
other places. So it's a conference of academics. There were 16 papers given. They were terrific. And uh, the idea is you you share your latest research work and then have other academic comment and question you. So it's about half and half, half delivery, half taking questions and being pushed and extended by other people, which is enormously valuable. And I saw you post on LinkedIn, Michael, that it was, it always is. I, I've attended the conference a couple of times myself and you said it always is a refreshing conference to attend. Nobody's trying to sell you anything. Yeah, I get really angry about strata conferences in Australia, which are so dominated by sponsorship and, and selling you things. And I like the free exchange, the very generous exchange of really good information at this particular conference where, you know, the best people on their topics get to speak, not necessarily the people who sponsored the Strata Managers Association. And I think that's um, important that people get access to a variety of views and not just the views of those that are the big wheels in servicing strata communities. Mm. And speaking of the right minds and the big ideas, you presented a paper at this conference? I did. I presented one on a a piece of research that I'm about to release on mixed-use buildings. And um, strangely, you know, all those mixed-use buildings have been pushed by planners and local authorities for, for decades to try and get our cities to become more vibrant. And they often occupy some of the most iconic property in our cities, but it has had very little research done about what it is like to own a property, what it is like to develop one of these properties, and what it's like to manage one of these properties. So I've, um, I'm just completing a, a piece of research on that, and I presented the findings of that in which I talk about how are we going to bring these big multi-complex things to an end when their time is up. And we've spent a lot of time focusing on the renewal of residential strata high-rise, but we haven't given any attention at all to what we do with the mixed-use buildings. And they present even further complications because of leases to supermarkets and day hospitals and and hotels and cinemas and all sorts of things. So um, that's I've been working on that now for two and a half years, and that research will be out shortly. Mm, well, we'll look forward to seeing that. I know that I often have a number of owners that I'm working with in my legal practice who are suffering some confusion, some difficulties in mixed-use buildings because there are some really complex arrangements. And they're often arrangements that purchasers, when they're buying in, are not aware of. I can give you a little a leak, a little snippet, but one of my things the research is showing is that developers and developers' lawyers have enormous autonomy and power in the way these are set up, far more so than than in a residential, a simple single-use residential strata. So there's not as much consumer protection for people. So people buying into these places are getting documents and, and things that are weighted more to developers rather than to the interests of, of owners. And also coming through very strongly in the research, weighted towards the big anchor tenant. So if there's a Coles or a Woolworths or a Hoyts or something like that as the anchor tenant, they're really dictating the terms and the residential people are, are sometimes left behind, yet end up with the biggest share of the levies. So mm-hmm. that's an interesting part of that research. But we can talk about that another time. Yeah, definitely. Let me know when that's out and we'll have a chat about that one. Back to the International Research Forum on Multi-Owned Properties. Can you give us, if, if it's possible to narrow it down, can you give us one highlight from the forum? The highlight for me was the paper that wasn't delivered. Evan McKenzie, who's a professor from um, America, was to deliver a paper on 
on the Grenfield fire and also the surfside collapse of building in, in Florida, which he's been studying very closely. And unfortunately, Evan was not well. He couldn't attend and his paper wasn't delivered, but he was kind enough to send it to me. And I've read it and it really is a very important piece, which I hope he will get a chance to deliver soon somewhere, knowing Evan he will. But what he's done is he's looked at the events of both of those buildings. Of course, in Grenfell, 72 died. In Surfside, 98 died. And he's found a lot of parallels. And and one of the things he comments on is that we've spent a lot of time trying to find out what happened on those days of those incidents. But we haven't spent much time looking at the institutional and the legal and the political circumstances surrounding all of that. And indeed, the conduct of the condo board members, so in Australia, the the Strata Committee members, particularly in Surfside. And boy, there's some really terribly tragic circumstances there. It's very evident that the committee knew about the concrete spalling, that they knew that there were serious structural foundational problems with the building. It was expensive. They didn't have the money. They wouldn't raise the money. And the building fell down and killed 98 of them. And uh, it is a a tragic case. Now, there are other circumstances, and we won't yet, we won't know the full reasons and the full contributing factors to that for some time. There's a major inquiry, as you can imagine, happening in Florida. But what we do know is that the committee knew about these things. They'd had engineers warning them. And it seems that there's a degree of inactivity or reluctance to fund the repairs that has contributed to the deaths of these people. And, um, you know, the repercussions of that are being found around the world and will certainly reverberate to our shores. One of the things that's happened in America as a result of that is one of the big banks or the purchaser of mortgages in, in America is called Fannie Mae. And um, the Fannie Mae has issued an edict to the banks that they won't be lend or allowing the banks to lend any money to purchasers in units unless the bank does due diligence on not only on the reserve funds, but also now the governance of the way in which people are, are behaving as board members. And they've set a benchmark of 10% of operating budgets. If you're not contributing 10% of your operating budget, in our language, that would be your admin budget. If you're not contributing 10% of that to your reserve fund each year as a bare minimum, the bank won't finance you. So that's really important. And I think we will see some of that type of activity filter through to Australia, where banks start to get more concerned about the safety of these buildings and the future of them and whether they're strong enough to stand up and whether they're going to cause damage. That's a very significant development. Yes. I was going to ask you what legislative intervention, if any, had happened in the US after that tragedy, because I know there was an inquiry happening and and a lot being written and spoken about over there. This concept of the banks not lending on properties where there isn't good governance, there isn't due diligence, there isn't a proper commitment to funding, repair and maintenance. I think that has to be the answer. There are just so many frustrated owners out there in these communities where this is not happening and there's no legal framework. The legislatures are not providing the answer, then it seems to me in America the banks are. Mm. But what is also important is that the legislatures in America are moving. As a result of this, the, the Florida Senate Bill 4D 
became effective in May last year, and it prescribes three things. It says that you must have a benchmark survey done and a study done every 10 years about the structural soundness and the adequacy of your reserve fund. The second thing is that you must fund the reserve fund to that level. So there's no none of this kicking the can down the road anymore. If, if your reserve fund says you have to raise X, then you have to raise X, and it, it's an offence not to. And the third thing is they're making board members personally liable for any failure to raise the money. So that's starting to drive regular and responsible funding of reserve funds. And as you know, that's been something that I've been strong on for a long time, that you know, if you are going to own strata property, you have a responsibility to put money aside every year to fund its replacement, its repair and its replacement. And if you don't do that, you're breaching your duties as a property owner. And it's not fair to kick it down the road and to leave it to the owners of the day when something arises because they then won't be able to get the money, they'll ignore their responsibilities, and as we saw in Surfside, bad things can happen. So um, I think that sort of law reform is is certainly on in America. I know that Hong Kong, some of the Asian countries are looking at it, Canada's looking at it. We're not at the moment, and I'm surprised by that, and I think we should be. But um, that type of increased vigilance and increased requirement to fund is really something that is going to happen for sure. Mm. I'm wondering if the advent of our strata hub in New South Wales and the annual reporting that we're now required to do, which includes letting fair trading know what the balance of your capital works fund is, is that a step towards this kind of system where there's some intervention if there is not a sufficient balance in a capital works fund, then the government's going to start issuing orders or directions or something? I'm very encouraged about where we sit in New South Wales. I think our government and our, our building commissioner, David Chandler, and our property services commissioner, John Minns, are doing a terrific job. And uh, I've certainly participated in some expert forums with them, John Minns in particular. And I know that there's some really good thinking going on, and hopefully we will see some really good law reform as a result of that. And unlike previous law reform efforts that I've been in, Involved in this seems to be far more considered and it seems to be far more based upon evidence as opposed to advocates and lobbyists thumping the desk and, and demanding things that suit them. It seems to me that the reforms that are being delivered by New South Wales are considered, they're backed by evidence, they're apolitical. Some of them are tough, but they have to be. And we're really starting to see some good things happen. One of the messages to me about the world in strata and and what I picked up from the various papers and I was able to join the dots is I think there's a movement by governments around the world, not just to pass laws that say you must do this as strata owners, but also looking at policy and support to get involved with stratas to help them make the right decisions. So that's something that I haven't really picked up before, but I, you know, there's three countries and well, three jurisdictions in particular In Ontario, in Canada, there's a very good help desk and support service that's been put together where people get real constructive assistance in the way in which they're making decisions. So going beyond telling them what decisions they have to make, really helping them consider issues and and make better decisions. And I think in New South Wales, we're in that category now where David Chandler is starting to get involved in 
buildings that haven't resolved their building defects in the last six years. But rather than sort of wielding the stick and saying, you've, you've got to do it, he and his team are actually asking people to come in and helping them do it, helping mm-hmm. them get on with, you know, and avoid court, avoid the need to spend money with lawyers and issuing remediation notices where that's possible and appropriate to developers to get the work done. So that interventionalist style. And then one of the perhaps more frightening events in this series is in China, where um, the People Republic of China are actually now having a role in appointing people to the boards of various condominium buildings because they've recognised, as so many have, that strata communities are very important functionaries in in democracy, in society. And so the PRC is involved in, you know, who you put on your board. So, um, you know, there's a spectrum there of intervention, and I'm interested to see how that unfolds because strata communities have become very important. We now have, you know, what I call strata health and safety. It's not work health and safety, it's strata health and safety. And people's lives are being affected, and also buildings are having an impact on other people around them and other things around them. You know, it's not just an inward-looking thing, it's an outward-looking thing. It's, it's a micro-government. And as a micro-government, it has powers to affect the way we raise children, the power to affect the way we look after the frail and old. It's a significant player in community. And the government's starting to see it that way, not just as a group of people looking after their property. Mm. I'm not sure if it was the last time we spoke, Michael, or whether I was looking at this separately from our conversation, but there was some draft legislation, possibly this time last year even, which would give the building commissioner power to make orders in relation to buildings, older buildings, where repair and maintenance wasn't being carried out, not necessarily intervening in the builder-developer-owners corporation relationship, but more so down the track where there is common property that hasn't been repaired and maintained. Is that still in draft or have I missed the memo on that? I'm living for this. I'm living for this. Um, It's still on the table. There's been, of course, a change of government in New South Wales and uh, the new government is certainly behind it. I don't know whether it will now get drawn into – it's on the table as a bill for consideration. Mm -hmm. I think comments have closed, but it is a very, very powerful piece of legislation Mm. where, the, as you say, the commissioner will be able to intervene in any strata scheme and where they are not fulfilling their obligations to repair and maintain. And that might be as simple as, you know, not fixing water penetration in someone's unit. You know, in these cases that are before the tribunals will be the subject of this intervention. And those corporations will be given work orders in the same way that people responsible for building defects have been given them. And I'm living for this. I think this will be a a useful tool for those recalcitrant owners' corporations that just won't do what they have to do for various reasons. Now, I don't know whether it's going to go through in its present form or whether it might get wrapped up in new Building Act legislation. That is to be seen, but it's definitely on the cards. And I was expecting it, or I was told that we should have it through by the end of this year. So it's it's coming. And I think, you know, whether it comes as a standalone piece of legislation or wrapped into something else, I'm sure it's not being going to be left behind because um, there are strata entities that just won't do what they have to do. And there's really been no consequence of that. I mean, apart from a lot owner dragging them along to the tribunal. A lot owner with a lot of money to spend, well, by the way. Yeah. Not only a lot of money, but a lot of courage. 
it takes yes. a lot of courage to start a proceeding against your co-owners, your neighbours, and to, even though the tribunal is meant to be informal and inexpensive, there is still a degree of formality about it, and it's very expensive. So um, I think this type of legislation is good. However, we get a problem, don't we, where where do you draw the line? Is the government going to be involved in every blocked toilet? Is the government going to be involved in every skirmish about impolite behaviour or parking? And the lady that's running the Ontario support service was talking to me in the breaks, and often it's the breaks that you find out the real information. But she was telling me in the break that they are just inundated with pleas to get involved in things that they just can't get involved in, that mm-hmm. the state can't be doing. So I think it's it's going to be a matter of balancing the big issues. You know, what are the big issues where where government and government authorities can help? And what are the issues that people have to just deal with themselves because government can't run our buildings? So it's an interesting time. And mm. uh, I think getting that balance right will be a challenge for all of us. But I hope that it's the beginning of more resources to support owners and to support owners' corporations in the way in which they conduct their business. Mm. So a world trend when it comes to government increasing government intervention in our residential communities, a focus on good governance, a focus on due diligence. Any other trends that you saw coming out of the International Research Forum? Yeah, look, I think academics have for a while started to realise the social implications of strata entities. And I see that, you know, um, there was an excellent paper by my colleagues from the UNSW City Futures Centre about the impact of strata living and strata governance on raising families and children in strata. And I think that focus on, on these entities as real players in the social fabric of our society, I'm picking that up as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it will be uh, fascinating to see how that plays out here at home. I mean, where do you think Australia as a whole sits when you attend these conferences and you hear what's mm. going on around the world and there are some jurisdictions out there which are quite similar to ours, as I understand over in Canada, British Columbia in particular, has a similar legislative framework to ours, Singapore. Are we ahead of the game? Are we behind the game? Are we the innovators? Where do yeah. we sit? Look, it varies. It varies on various issues. And one of the things that I'm interested in and one of the things I'm trying to drive is more comparative study about these jurisdictions. We can learn things, not just from overseas, we can learn things in Australia. I was looking at the South Australian strata laws the other day. Now, South Australia is a tiny strata jurisdiction, but one of the provisions of their act, which I just love, which is sort of very prominent, says the members of the owner's corporation are jointly and severally responsible for the debts of the owner's corporation. Now, Mm. that is true in every jurisdiction, but how wonderful to see it spelt out in those simple words, so prominently in the Act. I think that's something we learned from South Australia. I think Western Australia is doing some really interesting things in their new laws, which we could pick up from. So, you know, I think the larger states, Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales, arrogantly think we've got it right. We know best. There is, you know, this utter bullshit that, you know, New South Wales invented strata. You know, that's just not true. Um, we have to stop saying that. It happened in Puerto Rico before us. It happened in Belgium before us. In fact, the Melbourne legislation came before ours. So these, this mythology that we're the inventors of this stuff needs to be broken down. Our laws 
are good laws. There's many of them that are very good, but we can make them better by learning from other people. And when Victoria goes to amend their legislation and Queensland goes to amend their legislation, and New South Wales does the same, we have to be looking around at other people, not just listening to the same old, same old people thumping the desk and saying what they want for their part of the sector. And uh, I think there's a lot to be learned by comparative studies here in Australia, but also overseas. You know, when it's all said and done, the language can be different, but buildings are buildings, people are people, the climate is the climate. We're all in this together and we can learn a lot from each other, which is why I've enjoyed my overseas ventures this year, really sort of starting to learn from other people. If you look at Spain, for example, 70% of people in Spain live in an apartment. So at every conversation, Spanish government has a condominium representative at the table. They are at everything. Now, we have 25% or so in Australia. So we've got a lot to learn from these other countries and other places. And I hope that our bureaucrats, our leaders take their blinkers off, stop thinking that they are the fount of all wisdom and have a look at what else is around, have a look at other people's experiences and you will, we will find things that have worked. So quickly, New South Wales, I think, is doing well. Queensland legislation is a disaster. You know, opening the Queensland Body Corporate and Community Management Act is, is like entering a parallel universe. And that's not the only one that you need to open to get your head around what might be going on. There are more pages of legislation in the Queensland strata laws about how to elect a committee than there are in the nation's laws about how to elect the federal parliament. <laughs> you know, it is just absurd. So, you know, we need to look at all of those things and, and um, we can all do better, but we can all do better by listening and learning from different people's experiences. What do you think, Michael, of the point of view, I'll say, that our government in Australia sees apartment residents as essentially second-class citizens because historically they've been tenants, they haven't been owners, and those who are owners are investors, so, you know, they're cashed up, they can look after themselves, and that is the reason why we haven't had a voice for so long or a seat at the table. I think that's a very good point, and one of the papers, as it happens, was about, I think it was called, Where Does the Hate for Condo Come From? Uh, and it was done by a professor from the University of British Columbia. And um, that was a fascinating paper, which, which talked about the very issues you raise and where does where does it come from? Does it come from government? Yes. Does it come from society? Yes. And it was all about those things you mentioned that in the 1920s, for example, apartment living, then company title was regarded as, you know, something that was bohemian. You know, it was the dandies and the, the down and outs that lived there. Then, you know, you go through the 60s and you you read of people writing about, you know, apartments being the slums of the future, which of course is not necessarily the case. There are some apartments that look like slums, but there's some housing estates that look like slums too. So, you know, you get these broad generalizations. And this is, again, where, you know, I think research, if I can plug my colleagues, um, this is where research is is so important to to establish that, for example, we have a lot of young families living in apartments in Sydney. Increasingly so, as the cost of living goes up and people are staying in apartments longer. Increasingly so. So, you know, these these myths and these preconceptions about who is living in apartments, and I think also the number of people that are choosing to live in apartments as a first choice, as a gold medal, not a thanks for coming certificate. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a, a real shift there. So 
I think research is really important to helping that and, and everyone should give more money to researchers, including me. <laughs> we'll quote you on that. That'll be the next quote in the email subject line, just so you know. Podcast title, done. <laughs> now, these papers, Michael, is it possible for us to get our hands on these papers? Do they get published in a journal somewhere? Where should we keep our eye out? Perhaps on the, the website of the Multi-Owned Properties Forum? No, they're secret. No? Top it's secret. Top secret research business. Um, no, they, and look, I think it's, it's a good point you raise. And one of the things I've said as a late comer to the academic world, a late bloomer, I've said that, you know, we have all this amazing research sitting on the shelves because a researcher gets a job, gets some funding, does the work, and then has to get on with the next piece. And so we have some incredibly rich data um, sitting on the shelves at UNSW and other places. And and I, one of the things I'm talking to the university about is bringing that to short courses for executives. So running some executive short courses where people can come for a, a two-day seminar or a three-day seminar, maybe get some points towards a master's degree or an undergraduate degree, but get some really good quality education based off the research that we've been doing and that other people have been doing. So I think you've hit on an issue. The papers from from this particular conference are available to the attendees. And I think that's partly respecting that some of the research work is part done. And so, you know, there were people, me included, delivering papers about our research that's not quite finished, but we wanted to share aspects of it to get more input. So that some conferences, I think, quite legitimately say, no, those papers are uh, for the attendees and, and you will later see them published in various journals. But it would be terrific. It would be terrific if we could bring research to the public domain in a way that was accessible and digestible. I mean, academics write in sometimes quite, although I think the very best ones write in very plain terms, but sometimes it can get quite heavy. I think if we could break it down and, and bring academic work to your viewers in a way which helped them, I think it would be much better. And some of us are concerned about that and working on that. Mm. Julie McLean is here. Hi, Julie. And Julie's saying, I think that the papers will be on the Multi-Owned Properties Hub. Yes. So that's the website that I was referring to earlier. There is a website where- yes. um, Hi, Julie. Hope you travelled well. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think the, uh, the Multi-Owned Properties Hub is a good one. And we were certainly encouraged at the conference to put the papers up. So I don't think the papers are going up by the conference organisers, but people can go to that hub and get some really good material. And hopefully mm. people at the conference, as their material is is ready to be published, will be putting it up there. Mm, great. Now, there is a lot of chat going on here on live today in these comments. I think there's some conversation going back and forth, some long comments that I haven't been able to get my head into. But I did want to come back to Megan's comment here, Michael. I think Megan posted this when you were talking about our government potentially having more involvement in our communities and being able to issue orders and directions and the personal liability that the US government is looking at for its committee members out of tragedies like the Champlain Towers collapse. So Megan is asking, is the personal liability for board members, presumably strata committee members, a further deterrent to participation when we're talking about communities that can't even get a strata committee together sometimes. Yeah. And I'm seeing that more often these days, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Look, I think I think Megan's point is a good one. And I think, yes, it will act as a deterrent. One of the things that Evan McKenzie's paper deals with is how do we incentivize people to sit on boards? And this brings the question of board payments 
or payments to people for sitting on boards. And uh, Evan made a terrific, or what I think is a terrific idea, where he said people should be given a discount on their levies for sitting on boards. Mm. And I really like that idea. I don't like, I've seen people being paid as committee members and it hasn't worked well. But I like the idea of for every meeting you attend, you get, you know, half your levy rebated or something like that. I think think that's a really good way of, of making the point to the whole strata community that people put in real time into these things. This is, you know, to do the job properly requires real effort. And why should five people carry it for and then assume liability? So I, I thought Evan's suggestion about that was really interesting. The other suggestion that Evan had was to have at least one professional board member on each committee. So have a training course where people become professional strata committee representatives or members and then have one on each board and make that a requirement. So I thought that was an interesting innovation. But look, we have to look at these things. We have to be talking about these things because we cannot go on as we are. We can't keep passing new laws that put new responsibilities on people and not give them support. It's not right. I mean, I think it's right to put responsibilities on people, but I think government has to match it with support. Mm. And you know, if you look at a lot of these things, local government is the one that that benefits most financially out of the condominiumization of the world because you know the more condos there are the more ratepayers there are the less parks and gardens and things there are for them to fund some of that money has got to be channeled back into supporting owners and committee people so whilst i think megan's point is right it will deter some i think there's got to be a balancing act where we make it worthwhile for people. And not just in a monetary sense. I think we can make it worthwhile for people in terms of their civic duties and their civic responsibilities. I mean, lots of people volunteer for Mm. lots of things. You know, I'd like to start seeing a campaign where we say, when you volunteer to be on your strata committee, you are actually serving the community. You know, it is a public service. Now, it's a public service directed to your micro community, but nevertheless, it is an act of generosity. It is an act of public service. And I and I think we can make it rewarding for people. I know that there's lots and lots of people out there with talent that if we could polish it up and if people thought they were attending a really ordered functioning thing rather than a bun fight, then we would, you know, people would want to be on these things and they would derive not just monetary reward for it, but also a sense of, of purpose, a sense of, you know, being able to serve. And mm. um, I think we've got to think about the way we speak as professionals about strata, I'd like to see us stop denigrating or making jokes. I saw, uh, and I think it was Julie, I think Julie made a point about, you know, clap, children, leaks, animals, and parking. I think we've got to stop talking about those things. I think we've got to stop belittling what we do. What we do is very important. It, it has a direct bearing on people's emotional well-being and their financial well-being. And we have to stop people joking about strata and writing it off as something that's trivial and insignificant. If you look at some of the things we do, yes, on their own, they can be trivial. They can be viewed as trivial. But by and large, these are very important entities that are making important decisions about things that directly affect the way we live. You know, can I use my balcony for a barbecue? Where do I park my car? What time can I swim? Um, Who can I have visit? What can I cook? You know, these things are, are very important decisions and they need to be regarded as such. So I think as professionals, we need to lift our game and demand more respect for what we do. I think that will help elevate 
the functioning of committees and the functioning of annual general meetings. And, uh, you know, we just got to chip away at it. One point that Rena made in our podcast recording today, which everyone will hear come out on the podcast, is that committee members are essentially, by their volunteer work, subsidizing the scheme because they are doing work of value, which no one else pays for. The committee members pay for it with their time. And that is then delivering either a benefit or ticking off a legal obligation for the owner's corporation. And in that way, those committee members being unpaid and giving of their time are subsidizing everyone else. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. And and it ties into this conversation about whether or not these board members, committee members should be paid or be uh, professionalized somehow uh, because the work they are doing is of essentially monetary value at the end of the day. That's right. But I think when when we do that, as we have this discussion, that means that when you go to a board meeting, you have to arrive on time. You have to have read your minutes. You have to have read the papers. You have to have come ready to make decisions, not just to listen. So, you know, if we are going to professionalize boards and committees, then people need to understand that that comes with rigor. That comes with, you know, some real discipline about, you know, what you need to do in order to be there. And that's going to be quite hard to to manage and quite hard to instill. But I think just because it's hard, we can't turn away from it just because it's hard i think we need to we need to step up and start better supporting people and i think we've got the ocn working very hard aspects of sca work for strata lot owners your service does but beyond that i'm struggling to think who really supports lot owners and committee members and um it i think behoves government if government's saying we want to outsource more of these things to strata committees, then it must also then say we need to fund responsible support for these people because this is an important part of our society. Mm. Julie's just chiming in about crap, children, renters, animals and parking. I'm not sure that I had heard that before. Uh, I know the three Ps, it was always pets, parties and parking. Now we've got children, renters yeah, no, I've heard, and parking. I've heard crap and I've heard clap. Both not very pleasant things. And, you know, Julie, I didn't mean to single you out there. And I know you were quoting Gary Bugden on that. I should have sourced it to Gary as well. And I think when Gary was making the point, he was doing so, again, in a room of people that were dealing with these things on a day-in, day-out basis. So it's sort of, you know, it's not a criticism so much. But what I am saying, and I'm sure Julie will accept this point and back me up, is that when we're talking to government, when we're talking to policymakers, we have to be demanding that they take these issues more seriously than I sometimes think they do. You know, the fact that, for example, in New South Wales, the minister for strata is always the lowest ranking minister on the totem pole. Um, Well, hang on. There is no minister for strata. Wherever it sits. And, I, you know, there's some great exceptions to that. Victor Dominello did a fabulous job for New South Wales in that spot, but it was the rarity. In my experience mm-hmm. in Queensland and Melbourne and uh, here in Sydney, it's often the junior minister or it's the, alternatively, it's the party hack who's on the way out, who's given the portfolio as a thank you gift. So we've got to get it up the list. And, and the way we get it up the list is to make the point quite vocally that these things matter. We've got two and a half million people or three million people living in this. It's $1 trillion worth of property. And it's 900,000 entities that are part of our community, are part of our society. 
and have. You know, if Kathy Sherry was online, she would say, you know, these entities are governments because they make laws that affect people. That we have laws being made by private citizens. In New South Wales, we can resolve to sell your unit against your yep. will. <laughs> so, you know, th- these are increasingly important. Yep. Now, we are almost out of time and I am going to wrap up by asking what's next for Michael Tees. Before I do that, I just want to acknowledge you've got a note here, Michael, from Carolina from Common Hold Now in London and she's looking forward to speaking to you. See, I'm not sure if Carolina was at the conference or this is a new, another new international contact you have. Yes, I'm, I'm doing some work with Common Hold Now to help them turn around a thousand years of puritanical feudal law systems with oppress four or five million, sorry, I think it oppresses 10 million people in London who are living in leasehold flats. And it's a great cause. So uh, Carolina, I will be in touch with you and and your co-conspirators. And uh, I'm really enjoying helping you. So is that one of the things that's next for Michael Tees or what's on the agenda? What's next for me? Look, more research, more research. I love studying and getting to the facts of problems. You know, as a lawyer, Amanda, we were taught and we are taught to get to the answer quickly. As a researcher, I'm being taught to wallow in the muck and to, <laughs> to understand the issues better. Uh, so it's a great thing to do at my stage of life and my stage of my career. I'm thoroughly enjoying it and I hope that I can make a contribution to society by continuing to try and better understand these things. Um, I'll be lecturing, I'll be delivering some courses for UNSW, focusing on allied strata professionals. I think there's a lot of work to do with people like valuers and surveyors and architects and engineers and local council officers that miss out on understanding what we do and and how important it is. And they are very instrumental in affecting the things that we live in and and we work in. So I want to do some work with them over the next um, couple of years. Mm, Well, we will look forward to seeing all of that roll out. Is there a place that our viewers can go to get on an email list for you or find out more about what you're doing, where can they go to connect with you? Look, I'm most active these days on LinkedIn. This tends to be where I post. I do post blogs on my website. So certainly michaeltees.com or get me on LinkedIn and um, keep up with what I'm up to. And and I like to sort of try and post things that are helpful, that are provocative, that, you know, get us thinking. We need to think deeply about these things. And if I can make some contribution to that, then it's a good thing. Well, you are definitely doing just that. If the comments here on Facebook and coming through LinkedIn mean anything, you are having a huge impact, Michael. So please do keep up the good work for all of us here in Strata. And we will look forward to continuing to follow what it is that you're researching and what you're coming up with for us. Even though I hear you as a lawyer, we're trained to come up with the answer, the solution, and it is a an uncomfortable spot to be in, no doubt, as a researcher to just be waiting around in that muck. But you're doing a fabulous job. Thank you. Thank you very much, Amanda. Lovely to be with you. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at yourstrataproperty.com.au.